0: Welcome to Declaration, where we exist to help people encounter and follow Jesus. Throughout this series, Around the Table, we're going to be looking at how we can grow in community and live life just like the disciples, together breaking bread and serving one another. Here at Declaration, we believe that God has a word for you and for your family to live a life of fullness and to be fully devoted to Christ and His church. If you'd like to know more about who we are at Declaration Church, I highly encourage you to visit declaration.org. Now let's join in with Pastor John Cheryl. All
1: right, welcome to church, everybody. Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand clap. And while you're clapping, can we welcome everyone joining us online as we dismiss our fifth and sixth grade? Come on, give them your best for just a minute. All right. I want to encourage you, if you have not been a part of DNA Um, It is coming up. DNA 2 is coming up this week. You just heard Pastor Daniel talk about that. It's going to be a great time. There's going to be a great um, guy who is going to be speaking at that, and you don't want to miss that. He's a friend from a network church and um, just an incredible leader, and so it's just going to be a great night of just learning more, DNA 2 at least, learning more about you, how God has wired you to serve in the kingdom as well as to serve in the church, and so we would love for you to do that. All right, um, let's dive right in this morning. First of all, everybody feeling pretty good today? Happy Father's Day, everybody. Yeah. Thank you. There's like, you know, sounds like there might be five of us in the room because no one else. Okay, there you go. Good. Working it out. All right. Well, look, it's been a great first few weeks in our new series called Around the Table. We've been looking internally um, different than setting the table. If you were a part of that, that was more external focused. Um, This is internal focused. And um, we've looked at things like irresistible community. We started in Acts chapter 2, we looked at the key verse being 242, all the believers devoted themselves to four things. Obviously we realize that they were devoted to one another if you look contextually, deeply devoted to one another, but in that devotion they did four things. They put four things into practice. Number one, they were devoted to the scripture, to the word of God. They were devoted to koinonia, true fellowship, to prayer, and to remembrance, to breaking of the bread. And I think that that played out in two ways. Number one, they would go from house to house. So we knew that they were around the table together often. In fact, day by day they did this, Scripture said. But also through communion or some call it Lord's Supper or Eucharist. And so all these things were taking place. Last week we looked at how that type of irresistible community because of the Holy Spirit leads the church, which is us, to be passionate about an irresistible culture an irresistible culture of hospitality, just as we see in Middle Eastern world, also in biblical time, but also we believe that is the culture of the kingdom that we are to be a part of. We studied John chapter two, so different chapter two, different book, but we looked at the wedding at Cana where we saw Jesus has such compassion for the situation in their culture that would have been horrifically humiliating for a family and a bride and agreement would have followed them the rest of their days. When the wedding festivities could have been irreparably interrupted by running out of wine, we saw Jesus step in, perform the very first miracle in public before his purpose time. And in this, I believe we see this picture of radical generosity and irresistible hospitality of the kingdom of God again, which we are called to live into. Again, different from setting the table where, where we, we were really focused on, on being a table setter for the outside world to, to be able to see the invitation of Jesus. He wants everyone at his table now around the table also to be able to look at one another and, and still put in that practice of that irresistible hospitality, that irresistible culture out of a love and reverence and, and adoration for God, out of a, gra- a gratitude for God, but also because we want to honor each other. We want to love each other well. So that's kind of last week. Now, as we continue thinking about life around the table or life in and of the kingdom of God, I want us to look at an irresistible call this morning, an irresistible call. So we've done it, irresistible community, irresistible culture. Now, irresistible call. And in that, I want to go to the book of Luke, chapter 19. If you do not have a physical Bible, we want to give you one. There's going to be some at every response table in the front of the room and the back, some at the Connection Center. Um, If you've got a Bible, go to Luke 19. We also have it on the screen. And we're going to see Jesus go. This took me a minute to come up with everybody, so I'm pretty proud of myself. We're going to see Jesus go to dinner with a sinner, all right? That's what's about to happen. Jesus is going to have dinner with a sinner. Um, I've heard it said before this, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Have you ever heard that statement? God doesn't just call the equipped. He equips those that he calls. Um, I've heard that statement all throughout life. It's something I've kind of hung my hat on because trust me, at 15 years old, I went to a youth camp where I encountered the presence of Jesus for myself. Now, when I was nine, I kind of walked an aisle and joined a church and I felt like that God was beginning to speak. But really, I was kind of following my sister and her commitment to the Lord. As she took her step in faith that day. But at 15, I encountered the glory of God for myself at this youth camp in Glorieta, New Mexico. And at that same call, I knew even at 15, God was saying something to me about students and music. And it didn't make a lot of sense. I was kind of an introvert to a degree, didn't really like to be out front Even in eighth grade, you know, when we were in drama and all that stuff, I always wanted to do the backstage stuff. Even in high school with my worship pastor of my church who always put on these musicals, I always wanted to do the lights. I just didn't want to be out front. I was a drummer. I was a little bit mischievous. Let me give you some examples, but not limited to. It's not a good idea. I do not recommend doing this. But one day I thought it would be super fun to get into the baptismal water at the church while church was happening. I would not suggest to do that. Would not suggest it. It's not a good thing. It will hurt you in many ways on your backside. Okay, I'll tell you that. I grew up in that day, all right? Another thing that I did, and I'm I'm really not kidding. I wish that, I'm not proud of it, but I need to tell you. I'm just confessing some sin here, everybody, all right? But in our church, there was a second story that we did not know about. It was really just an attic access, but it opened up into this room that we thought was the secret room. Surely that's where they put the dead people, right? Or something, I don't know. But we found this room, and it had attic access. So we, we learned that we could crawl up into this attic, and we would crawl across this space. And it was like this big adventure. What we did not know is that we were crawling across support beams over our sanctuary. Again, during church, not advisable. And we hear, everybody back out slowly and act like nothing ever happened, right? That was me as a child. So I was a little bit mischievous. But at 15 years old, here I am at this camp. Still giving my student pastor a lot of mess during the week, I promise I could go on for days with these stories. But at 15, I encounter God in a very real, undeniable, life-altering way. And in that moment, I was sitting in the counseling area with. The youth intern at the time was our pastor's son named Alex. I will never forget. He was a young adult. He had all of his stuff together. And I was sitting there looking at him thinking, man, who am I? I mean, what does this mean? I'm 15, and, and I, I'm, I'm kind of shy. I don't really have a lot of talent, don't really know what I have to offer. I play drums, but, and now I feel like God is saying something with students. I am a student, and he's saying something with, with, with music. I, I mean, I don't really, I'm not really a musician, and, and I'm just kind of freaking out. And Alex just calmed me down and said, hey, John, let me just encourage you. He said, God never calls just the equipped. He will always equip those he calls. So that's the first time I ever heard that statement. That statement has become so profound in my life. Pastor Tom Mathet once said something so true and so encouraging. This is what he said. He said, my call is before any of my faults, and my call is greater than all of my faults. Isn't that good news, everybody? Think about that. My call of God is before, it was before any of my faults, but it's also greater than all of them. Um, Pastor Mark Driscoll once said, the difference between your ability and your calling is the grace of God. And that is so, so true. So as we go to the book of Luke this morning, chapter 19, I want us to examine a guy that many of us have probably heard of before named Zacchaeus. And in his story, I believe that we will see, I'm going to give you the main idea. In fact, every point I'm going to give you right now, this whole message. Here it is. I believe that we're going to see in the story of Zacchaeus that an irresistible call to the gospel is an irresistible call to freedom, forgiveness, and friendship. Freedom, forgiveness, and friendship. Webster's Dictionary defines the word call to mean this a cry made as a summons or to attract someone's attention. And that's exactly what we're about to see. Look at Luke 19, verse 1. I'm going to read 1 through 10 and just listen to the story. So Jesus enters Jericho and makes his way through the city of Jericho. There's a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in that region, and he became become very, very rich. He tried to get a good look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So He runs ahead of the crowd. He climbs up in this sycamore fig tree beside the road because he knows Jesus is about to come that way. When Jesus comes by, Jesus looks up at Zacchaeus in that tree and calls him by name. And he says, Zacchaeus, come quickly, come down. He says, I must be a guest in your home today. So Zacchaeus quickly climbs down and he took Jesus to his house with great excitement, great joy. But all the people around were very displeased because Jesus had gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. And so they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stands before the Lord and says, I'll give half of my wealth to the poor, Lord. And, and if there's anyone that I've cheated out of their taxes, I'm gonna return that money fourfold. And Jesus responds, salvation has come to this home today for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who were lost. So Let's pray this morning. Father, would you encourage us through your word today. God, this is your church. This is your time. Would you just um, only speak the words through me that you desire to be heard? Would you empower your word today to change lives? And Holy Spirit, we just yield to you right now. Would you move in ways only you can? We trust you and we need you. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. So as we open up the story in Luke 19, obviously we see Jesus is entering into Jericho. He's making his way through the city there. This is immediately after he had just healed a blind man on his way into Jericho. And now he's making his way through Jericho. So very clearly, the first thing I want us to see is that we know Jesus is on a mission here. He's he's got a purpose in what he's doing. He He is moving ahead with great, great purpose. Now, Remember, we've been considering how we live life and, and how we kind of view life through two lenses, through two premises. Number one, Jesus came to seek and save. Those that are lost. So seeking and saving was the mission of Jesus. We've seen that for the last two weeks. That's in our last verse. I'll refer to that multiple times. Verse 10. We see seeking and saving was the mission of Jesus. But the second part, the second lens, is this eating and drinking was a methodology of Jesus. And 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 if you want to know kind of the why behind that, what if you haven't been here for the last few weeks, go back and watch those two messages because I break that down as to the why behind I, you know, why I say that. That eating and drinking was a methodology of Jesus. He was set around a lot of tables with With a lot of people, single-handedly, he marched people into the kingdom one by one through whatever festival, through whatever feast, through whatever banquet, through whatever wedding, through whatever meal that he had. So seeking and saving was his mission, eating and drinking, his methodology. And here he is now on this mission, making his way through Jericho. And we see, verse 2, that there's this man there named Zacchaeus. He is this chief tax collector, so he's the tax collector of the tax collectors. He's the one in charge. And he'd become incredibly wealthy. So Jesus, on purpose, with purpose, moving through the city, divine appointment. There's going to be dinner that he wants to have with someone important, yet someone despised. This man named Zacchaeus, who just so happened to be the supervisor of all the collectors, meaning culturally as a tax collector, um, he was probably viewed as the most crooked of them all. He was, he was viewed, hor- I mean, there is a horrible view of this man in the city. He he would have been viewed with even more vitriol as being a supervisor of the tax collectors than maybe some of us in the house view the IRS. Come on, somebody, like they just didn't like him. He was not a good man to them. Interestingly enough, you know the name Zacchaeus actually translates to mean righteous one or innocent. Pure one. That's what his name means, but he wasn't living into the meaning of his name in any way, form, or fashion. Certainly, the Jewish religious community in Jericho would have never considered Zacchaeus to be pure, innocent, or righteous. He not only collected the taxes from his own people, but he also worked for the Gentiles, those, those unclean Gentiles. That, that's the view that they had of him, and society knew that. that Guys like Zacchaeus were notorious for collecting far more taxes than were than what were really required, just so that they could line their own pockets. They were gouging their own people by collecting these taxes because the more money they collected, the more money they got to keep. Jesus even spoke to this in Luke chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. He says, Corrupt, you corrupt, you know, even the corrupt tax collectors, they come to be baptized. They ask, teacher, what should we do? And he replies this collect no more taxes than the government requires. So we know that this is an issue in the area. So Jesus calls him out, be honest, be fair. And no matter how culture may have viewed guys like Zacchaeus in our story today, we will see though Zacchaeus was most likely despised in the eyes of the Jewish population. He was precious in the eyes of Jesus. He was exactly who Jesus was after. Because seeking and saving was the mission of Jesus. And just as we see at the end of the passage, Zacchaeus was one who was a sinner in need of salvation. And much like everyone else, he had heard Jesus was in town. And as Jesus is making his way through the city, through the town, through the crowds, verse 3, Zacchaeus tries to get a good look. He tries to see Jesus, but Scripture says he's too short to see over the crowd. He's He's a small man. He's small in stature. He's a little dude, right? He's short. Maybe you remember the big hit song from our childhood. How'd he go? Zacchaeus was a... Oh, come on. Zacchaeus was a... Some of you people act like you never saw Flannelboard flannel board Jesus in your Sunday school house, right? Like, and a wee little man was what? <laughs> he was a small little dude. Now, this mostly, you know, this could suggest that I mean, he probably struggled greatly. I could have a lot of assumptions about this. Scripture doesn't say this. These are just my assumptions. This is the way I see him as I read the story, all right? My assumption could be he, he, he could have been horrifically insecure about this. Or another assumption could have been that, that he might have been the kid that might have been bullied his whole life because of his size. And now here he is, this tax collector. So he's the man now. You know what I'm saying? He's the man. He took on this job, this role, this persona of someone of just deep importance where he's not gonna be bullied anymore oh no he's not gonna live in fear anymore in fact um chances are he did anyway but he's not gonna live in fear in fact he's gonna he's gonna instill the fear in people people wouldn't they wouldn't you know necessarily want to be around him and the way I see him maybe maybe possibly Zacchaeus even had anybody know what little man's disease is that's what I'm thinking that maybe that was Zacchaeus you know what I mean by that So here he is, too short to see Jesus, and Scripture tells us in verse 4, he runs ahead, he climbs up this sycamore fig tree beside the road, because he knows Jesus is about to come by. Now, listen, in Eastern culture, um, it would be incredibly unusual for any man, let let alone a government official, let alone a wealthy, important government official type of man, to ever jog much less run. This would not have happened. So, we see Zacchaeus deciding, he decides to literally run ahead down the street, uh, liken this to like a child, if you will. He t- obviously takes on this form of curiosity, much like that of a kid, um, because he's wants he want, got to get a better vantage point. He, climbed, he runs and climbs a tree. He wants a better view. He wants to be able to see Jesus as he comes by. John Calvin once said that curiosity and simplicity are a sort of preparation for faith. And this describes exactly to a T what's going on with Zacchaeus. I mean, I wonder what he thought. Like, why the crowd? What's the deal? What's happening? Who is this Jesus guy? Really, I've heard of him. Why are the people following like this? Why are, what am I missing here? What, is, what was Zacchaeus thinking? It may have been that Zacchaeus could have been suffering from a bit of FOMO. Anybody ever suffered from a little bit of FOMO? i got a fear of missing out. But consider the words of Jesus in Luke 18, 17, when he says this Whoever shall not receive the kingdom of God like a little child shall in no way enter therein. So Zacchaeus obviously abandons his pride in this moment, which points to a truth that I think we need to see this morning. It's been said that perhaps more than anything else, it is pride that keeps many successful people from trusting Jesus. And Zacchaeus is not going to let that stand in the way. He takes off running. He climbs a tree. Verse 5. When, he, when Jesus walks by, Jesus looks up, looks at Zacchaeus, calls him by name, and says, Zacchaeus, come down now. Hurry. I must be a guest in your home today. That's what he says. There was a passionate intensity to Jesus' call. I must. Be a guest. I mean, just this word must. It is necessary, Zacchaeus, it is necessary that I am your guest today. It is of divine necessity, Zacchaeus, that I come to your house. Um, It is more than incredibly important, obviously, that I come to your house, Zach. Get down here. The word must, when you look at this word must in the Greek, die, I think I said that right. I don't know. Die, D E I. It's the same way this word was used when Jesus said that he must die. He, when he was speaking of death and resurrection, must. This is a big, bold word, must. I must come to your house, Zacchaeus. There is a necessity and an urgency to Jesus' invitation to come spend time at the table with Zacchaeus. I must come to your house. Now, according to a theologian that I respect deeply, Warren Wiersbe, Zacchaeus thought he was seeking Jesus. Remember, we see this in Luke 19.3. He tries to get a look at Jesus, but he's too short. But I want you to know this. In all actuality, Zacchaeus really wasn't pursuing Jesus. I believe Jesus was seeking him. Jesus knew he had a divine appointment. He was seeking Zacchaeus. We know this because simply by nature, the lost sinner does not seek the Savior. Look at Romans chapter 3.11 with me where it says this. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. We read it earlier in verse 10. Jesus, his mission to seek and save that which is lost. He goes into Jericho after healing the blind man. He walks through Jericho. Do you know how many people had been pressing around him at this point? How many people were following after him at this moment? How many people had he encountered, brushed up against, seen, maybe even acknowledged? But who did he stop and look at and talk to? Who did he call by name? Who did he say, get down here? I gotta come hang out with you, Zacchaeus. See, he was seeking Zacchaeus. He was on divine mission, making his way, and that mission included Zacchaeus. He wanted to have this divine dinner with a sinner, y'all, that would change everything in Zacchaeus' life. See, it's Jesus that is always seeking to save. let this truth be encouraging maybe to some of us this morning. Because maybe you're in a moment in life where you're doing all you can. In fact, some of you, you may be exhausted. You feel like you've been chasing after God. You feel like the bleeding woman crawling through a crowd just trying to touch the hem of the ground. You've been doing everything physically, humanly possible, so you think, to chase after, to pursue after Jesus. And you're tired. You're wondering why things aren't working out. You keep waiting. You know the lyric. Even when I don't see him, he's working. Even when I don't feel that he's working. You've sung it before and somewhere in your heart, you want to believe it. But in your head, you're like going, yeah, but where are you at, God? And you feel like that you're, can I tell you something, man? Just take a deep breath. Because just as desperate as you might feel like that you're chasing after Jesus, I'm going to tell you right now, he's been pursuing you long before you were even born. He's pursuing you right now. You may not see it, you may not feel it, but you can take it to the bank. Why? Because seeking and saving was his mission. He loves you. He loved you first. It's Jesus that's always seeking to save. Let let that just sit on you for a minute. He always seeks after us first. First. Always, to further illustrate, let's look at original sin. Look at Genesis 3. I'm not going to make you look at all of it. I'll just give you a brief moment of it. But if you look through verses 1 through 10 in Genesis 3, you'll see the fall of humanity. When our spiritual, you know, great-great-great-great-great-grandparents, whatever, when first sin took place, what did they do? What did they do? They hid from God. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden? They took the the bite of the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and and immediately their eyes are open. Immediately they now know nakedness. Immediately they now feel this weird thing that they may not even have word for called shame. Immediately and so what do they do? They hide from God but then we see um, just as they sin, they're hiding. God comes and seeks after them. Look at verse 8 and 9. In the cool of the evening, the breeze was blowing. The man and his wife heard God walking about in the garden. So what do they do? They hid from God and there he is walking and he calls out to them and what does he say where are you Adam where are you Eve hey listen can I tell you something it's not that God did not know where they were God was acknowledging that they were hiding he always knows exactly where we are yet he pursues He pursues passionately. See, when Jesus first ministered on earth, he sought out the lost. And today, listen, today, the Holy Spirit, even by his grace, through us, through the church, is searching for lost, broken people. What we don't know in our story is how had God been working in the heart and mind of Zacchaeus to prepare him for this encounter? How had God been working with all those around Zacchaeus to prepare for this very moment of encounter? We don't know. The scripture's silent. Was it, did it have to do with his friend group? Can I tell you something? Your friend group's important because who you surround yourself with may just lead you into your destiny or try to pull you away from it. Who could it have, I mean, did, was Levi a part of that? A former, another former tax collector at one time? One of, one of Zac- was he one of Zacchaeus? Did he tell Zacchaeus about, who, did, did he tell Zacchaeus about Jesus? We don't know. I mean, was he praying for Zacchaeus? Um, had he, Zacchaeus become weary of his wo- wealth? I mean, had he deemed um, that he desired something different, something better? Um, had he come to the realization that, that stuff just, stuff did not mean significance? We don't know. All we know is that he wanted this vantage point to see Jesus. And while we don't have the answer to, to questions, what were the events that led Zacchaeus to come looking, we can only imagine, but listen, we can find such comfort and hope that a seeking Savior will always find the broken sinner who is looking for the new beginning. So no matter where you are and what's going on, listen, please don't miss it. He is pursuing you. Remember verse five. When Jesus comes by, he looks up at Zacchaeus and he literally calls him by name. Come down here quickly. I mean, how did he know him? How did he know his name? I'm, I'm sure this not only confounded Zacchaeus, but it had to confound the crowd around as well. I mean, and listen, this is important. We need to lean into this a little bit. Jesus calls this man by name, meaning he knew Zacchaeus. They may have never met as far as Zacchaeus knew. How would Jesus know his name? But Jesus knew him. I mean, he called him by his name. Jesus knew that his father God had a plan For Zacchaeus' life. And listen to me, just as that was for Zacchaeus, can I say this to you? It is for me and you as well. There is a plan for our life. And there is an appointed time and moment where Jesus is gonna call you by name. Many of you, he already has. Some of you, He is pursuing and he is calling even now. I mean, just your mere presence in the house today. Can I tell you something? People don't just stumble into church anymore. They come for a reason. They're trying to get a better vantage point to see if it's real. But meanwhile, what you need to know is that, man, you're not seeking. Jesus has been seeking after you your whole life. He has been chasing after you, pursuing after you because he loves you. How do I know this? Ephesians 2.10. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us. What does it say? Before God breathed, created the cosmos, God knew you. He already had great divine plans and purpose for your existence before you even existed. And he pursues you now. Here's something else important for us to see. Just as Jesus called Zacchaeus, he calls us. And when he calls, his call truly is this irresistible call. He says, Zacchaeus, I must come to your home today. I must be a guest in your home. I want you to know that culturally, Jesus calls Zacchaeus by name and bestows upon him. Watch this. Please don't miss this. He calls him by name and bestows upon him the honor of being a host. This is such a big deal. Please, this is such a beautiful picture. When Jesus calls us with his irresistible call, he bestows upon us the beautiful promise and the honor of hosting his presence. Don't miss that. When he calls you by name, he is bestowing upon you this beautiful privilege and honor of hosting his presence. What an amazing privilege that is. Zacchaeus, get down here, man. I need to come to your house. I want to come spend time with you, Zacchaeus. Of all these people here, Zacchaeus, I want to come have dinner with you at your house. Now, I'm sure this had... To come as a huge surprise to Zacchaeus, it's like, uh, are, you, are you talking to me? Is there another Zacchaeus? Anybody other Zacchaeus in the house? Surely, amongst the crowd, there's another Zac in here. How do you know my name? This, is this a mistake? I mean, surely. And we don't see any of that in Scripture. Again, it's just where my mind goes. But rather, we do see this, verse 6. We see Zacchaeus quickly climbs down takes Jesus to his house with great excitement and with great joy. And I want you to see this. Look, Zacchaeus, in this instant of this moment, makes himself fully available to Jesus. Do you see that? Anybody? Can you see that? I mean, fully, in this very second, he makes himself available to Jesus. But the crowd, what's going on? They're displeased, they're grumbling. I mean, how in the world would Jesus go be a guest of this notorious, horrible sinner? How dare that? And please hear me, church. This is such an important paradigm that we must wrap our heart and our mind around as a church that truly claims to follow Jesus, to be for Jesus and for people, as a church that says We desire authenticity as a church that says, you know, because of what the gospel has done, we have got to get our heart and our head around this. Jesus sought after people like Zacchaeus. These are people that Jesus would welcome, not only into his world, but he he wanted to be in their home. He He wanted to possess their heart. You know, Jesus sought after those who the religious elites may call notorious sinners. The Twitter trolls. The Theo bros on, on Twitter and social media who, who want to do everything to tear everyone else down in Jesus' name. Jesus loved them just as much he loved those that they were tearing down. He, he showed no respect of any. He, he showed respect to every. Are you seeing it? I mean, he, he was invested in people All people, even people who are sinners, especially the notorious, especially the deeply broken like Zacchaeus. Seeking and saving was the mission of Jesus. His heart for people and salvation was to set people free. So here's the first point of the main idea that I told you about early in the mix of the message. Here it is. When Jesus calls us, he calls us with this irresistible call to freedom. He's saying, Zacchaeus, I must come into your home today because I have a gift for you of freedom. I want to set you free from the life of what you might feel was insignificance. I want to set you free from the life of your, you know, persona of power, but truly your depth of insecurity. I want to set you free from all the things that have kept you up at night, that haunt you in your sleep, that haunt you in your waking hour, the things that you most, are mostly ashamed of. I, I want to set you free. That's what I really believe Jesus is saying. Why? Because Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ came to set us free. When Jesus calls us, he calls us with this irresistible call to freedom. Look at verse eight with me. It says, meanwhile, Zacchaeus stands before him. I'm sure overwhelmed. See, look, when, when this is for somebody because this is for you. It wasn't a nine, so it's for you. But when we begin to see who he is in light of who we are, and we begin to see his love for us in light of what we know we've done, we can't help ourselves. We get in touch with just the depth of our brokenness, and here we see the eyes of compassion looking at us, calling us by name, telling us he has something better. And Zacchaeus is standing there, and he says, Lord, I'll give half of my wealth away to the poor right now. If I've cheated anyone out of tax money, I'll give it back fourfold. He has an encounter here in this moment. It's life-changing. I'll give half of it away. It doesn't matter. Now, this is a stark contrast to the conversation Jesus had with the rich young ruler. I'll give, it, I'll give half of it away. If I've messed anyone up around here, I'll give it back fourfold. I'll do it. See, the obvious and irresistible, compassionate call of Jesus was all that it took. I mean, he knew Zacchaeus. He knew who he was. And here he is, singling him out in front of everyone, saying he wanted to come to his house. I mean, that's the man... Zacchaeus, this is the one who I've heard of. He's wanting to come to my house. I mean, this is, this is a significant and special moment. And this significant and special person was singling out a seemingly insignificant guy like Zacchaeus. This was not lost on Zacchaeus. No matter what others may have thought about Zacchaeus, here's Jesus Giving him dignity. Here's Jesus giving him attention. Positive attention. Here's Jesus giving him honor. Listen, can I tell you this? Jesus sees beyond Zacchaeus. He sees beyond his current reputation into his God-created purpose. Jesus sees beyond his chosen occupation into his God-created identity. And no matter his reputation to everyone else, Jesus still desires relationship with him. This was obviously, had to be overwhelming to Zacchaeus. I'll give it all away. See, the kindness of Jesus obviously brought repentance into Zacchaeus's life because Zacchaeus' response to Jesus' irresistible call was to say, I'll give half of my wealth. If I've messed anybody over, I'll give it back Four times. He responds out of this heart of repentance. In verse nine, Jesus says, salvation has come to this home today for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Listen, when Jesus calls, he calls us with this irresistible call to freedom The the irresistible call to the gospel is an irresistible call to freedom. Let me pause there before I go on because let me just tell you a little bit of this. Um, A lot of us, maybe if you're like me, maybe you've struggled with this concept of freedom. You understand red, white, and blue, baseball, apple pie, Americana, go America. You understand that freedom thing, right? Like that means we're going to barbecue a few days of the year, right? It's going to be good stuff. But to to truly be gripped by the gospel in such a way that you truly walk in freedom, let me say this. If we're still struggling, and again, if you're like me, because I've I've been on the struggle bus my whole life with this stuff. Can I just be honest? The enemy loves to get up in John's grill and remind John of the the, the dirtiest parts of John's life. So I've struggled with this concept of freedom. But I'm going to tell you something. You know what I've realized? The measure of freedom that I'm able to walk in is directly congruent to the amount of surrender that I'm willing to offer to him. Did, did anybody hear that? Or was that? Because that felt really good in my heart. I don't know. Some of you are like. <laughs> The measure of freedom, the freedom's already there. Listen, the blood of Jesus was incredibly powerful. It saw through time and space, and it was holistic enough for all of the world. Can I tell you that? Not one sin had you committed when Jesus hung on a stick and died for you. Can I tell you that? Yet still, it was so powerful to see through time and space to be able to not just cover your mess, but to take it away and to make you just as if you'd never sinned. That was the scariest thing for the devil in that moment, to be able to look at a child of, of God who just stepped into the kingdom and realized that dude just made that person as if they had never messed up ever in the first place. So the freedom is there for us. The measure of freedom that you're able to walk into is directly proportionate to the measure of surrender you're willing to give to Jesus. Are we all tracking with me? I've had a little bit too much coffee today. So, so look, this, the irresistible call to the gospel is an irresistible call to freedom. But not only that, part two, the irresistible call to the gospel is also an irresistible call to forgiveness. See, in this moment, Zacchaeus made himself available, fully available to Jesus. And Zach stepped into the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true, not a pretend, a true son of Abraham. Man, I hope someone's getting encouraged today. Listen, because just like Zacchaeus, much like his irresistible call, I believe God is calling me and you. He's calling us by name. And much like Zacchaeus, listen, no matter the reputation, Jesus also sees beyond our current reputation into our God-created purpose and identity. And no matter what others may think about us, Jesus still desires relationship with us. Isn't that good news, somebody? I mean, for the fellow ragamuffin messed up guy who just so appreciates the gospel, not as much as I should, but I promise tomorrow I'm gonna probably appreciate it even more. Believing in Romans six, I don't continue to try to walk in sin because I don't have some grace mastercard. The blood of Jesus is too powerful and too pure and I do not wanna live some thankless life that just claims grace, but chooses to live like hell all the other times because I'm forgiven. I'm not gonna do that. There's a depth of gratitude in me that says I'm going to struggle while I'm here because I'm in a process called sanctification. But one day, let me tell you something, glorification is coming. And there has already been justification. So the devil can keep saying everything that he wants to say to remind me of all of my past mistakes. But just like Twitter says, we'll just start to remind him of his future. Come on. Let me give you one more thing. The the presence of Jesus always brings true repentance. No one is beyond salvation. Look, no other prophet, teacher, or religious leader would have ever given someone like Zacchaeus the time of day, let alone wanting to come and hang out in his house. And here's Jesus. Jesus. Zacchaeus responds to the compassionate and irresistible call of Jesus with this grateful repentance and receives forgiveness, receives freedom. The irresistible call to the gospel is an irresistible call to freedom and forgiveness. Jesus, seeing the heart of Zacchaeus and how he responded to his invitation, says salvation has come to this home today for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and save those who were lost. Right there. Jesus declares the why behind his what. He moves through Jericho on a divine mission to seek and save that which is lost. He moves through Jericho with divine purpose, which included finding Zacchaeus, a despised tax collector. In finding him, Jesus says, I must hang out with you. I must be invited to your home today, Zac. In other words, invite me in, Zacchaeus. Look, there's a lot of us in the house that could identify with Zacchaeus. And Jesus says, invite me in, invite me in. I'm come looking for you. Make yourself available to me, Zacchaeus. I want relationship with you, Zacchaeus. I wanna be your friend, Zacchaeus. The last part, the irresistible call to the gospel is an irresistible call to freedom, forgiveness, and friendship. Jesus made it possible that we could be a friend of God. Friendship. See, Jesus calls us to his table to find freedom, forgiveness, and friendship. That's what his mission was all about. He wants everyone at the table. You're invited. Anybody remember uh, first, first, uh, first day of, like, J-high, anybody? Like, I'm pretty old, but I still remember it. Anybody? Junior high, seventh grade, you walk in. You're not worried about, I'll just speak for my frame. You're not worried about, like, okay, um, do I have my eyes on just right when my color popped? Are my capos on point with the right color, you know, triangle in it? Anybody? No? Too old. That's me. My bad. My bad. Maybe you're, like, talking about Nikes or whatever. No, this, it was capos back in the day for me. You know, uh, were you were you worried about I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what grip the, the, the thing that grips every heart, day one, seventh grade, is not am I gonna be able to make the grades, who's gonna be in my class, what classes I'm gonna have to take. You know what grips everybody? What is lunch gonna look like? All right, now you with me, right? I'll tell you about from Huntsville the way it was in Huntsville in the in the you know, the nineties, if you will. Huntsville was like, okay, I'm going to walk into the lunchroom. Okay, there's the skater table. There's the prep table. There's the goth gap kids. Ta- they shop at goth gap, <laughs> you know, whatever. Um, there's the, sorry, there's the, um, oh, there's the, the preppy table and the jocks. I've already said that, but there's a few of them. And, um, and, and there's the, the kicker, uh, Huntsville, everybody. Um, if you've got a, a good pair of Justin, uh, you know, ropers and some, or jeans or whatever it is, you, you're, you're in good. You know, you could be all hat, no cattle, but it's okay. You're a kicker. You're a kicker. And I walk in and I'm like, where am I going to sit? Anybody else feel that tension or just me? Come on, somebody. Anybody feel that? Are you freaking out at this point? Seventh grade. But here's the truth you just want to be invited. You just want to have a place. (laughs) That's all you want. You just, you may have certain desires for certain tables, but at the end of the day, you just want to be invited. You don't want to be let, everybody wants to be invited. Everybody wants a place. You see, Jesus calls us to his table. He says, I've got a place for you. Zacchaeus. See, he wasn't and isn't just after the pretty and the popular, the affluential and the influential. He wasn't and isn't just after those who seemingly have it all together. Can I just give you a little bit of free advice this morning? Stop comparing the reality of your life to the highlight reel of people 's social media he He wasn't just looking for the people with the right watch it the people who know how to use the right filters. He wasn't just looking for the good, the moral, or the religious. He was also after the last, the lost, the lonely, the least, the despised, the discouraged, the depressed, the dejected, the downtrodden, the hurting, those in need of healing, the helpless. He was after them too. Those of ill repute. Jesus wants everyone at the table. Everyone's invited. That's why we spent so much time in setting the table, declaring passages that we all know like John three sixteen, to hopefully just let it grip our heart in a way that maybe we haven't seen it before for God so loved the world he so loved the world that he sent Jesus seeking and saving was the mission of Jesus eating and drinking was a methodology of Jesus I mean think about Luke 14 the banquet Jesus says when you put on a lunch or a banquet don't invite your friends brothers relatives rich neighbors they'll just invite you back that'll be your only reward he said instead Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. See, Jesus' heart breaks for the brokenhearted. The irresistible call to the gospel is an irresistible call to freedom, forgiveness, and friendship. And because of Jesus and His death, His ministry, His resurrection, we now have an irresistible call to love not only those we already love but also the last the lost the lonely the least the outcast and the obedient we love the, the the downtrodden and depressed and discouraged just as much as we love the disciples just as jesus called us he now calls others through us What a privilege, such an honor. Listen, that Jesus invites us to his table so we can be about inviting others to his table. Think about it. Just as I said a little earlier, what a profound privilege that his irresistible call bestows upon us this beautiful promise and honor of hosting his presence. irresistible call of the gospel is an irresistible call to freedom forgiveness and friendship here's the question like Zacchaeus have we made ourselves fully available to him I mean are we making ourselves available to Jesus like Zacchaeus did because some of us are still trying to put our own parameters around that relationship are we making ourselves fully available Look, there's going to be a time. Can I tell you this? There's going to be a time in your life. You can find community in a lot of ways, in a lot of places, with a lot of people. And it's great. You're going to find. Yeah, great. You'll have some good friends. But there's going to be a time in your life when you need a small group around you of Holy Spirit infused people. That's why the table is so important. That's why those early church disciples committed themselves to one another deeply. Day after day devoting themselves to the word of God, to prayer, to fellowship, to remembrance. Because they knew that they were gonna need, that I need you. We have a family that we prayed for in the first service this morning who... I don't know if, you, if you've ever met grandpa. He's an older gentleman who walked around on a cane and there were times that he would get on his face, literally with his cane, put it down, get on his face on the floor and cry out to God. Move down to the altar and get on his face before God. Older gentleman, 80 something years old, Margarito. And we prayed for this family because tragically this week, Margarito took his last breath on this side and the kingdom of heaven's gain is our loss this week. And he'd want it no other way. His last words before he died was, thank you, Jesus. That's what he said. And then he died. Amazing. This giant pillar of faith. I can't tell you. He prayed for this church daily. He prayed for me daily. There was a time that I was down here praying and he got up from where he was and walked over and laid hands on me. I'll never forget this man. And this family is hurting. And you know what they need right now? They need that holy infused community, authentic, irresistible community of kingdom people who practice the irresistible culture of hospitality and just love them so well right now. And thank you, church, because you are loving them well right now. There's gonna be a time when we need it. Are we making ourselves fully available? That's why the table, y'all, is so important. Are we hearing the invitation of Jesus as he invites us to host him? Are we hearing the call of Jesus as he invites us to share our table with him and with each other and with others? There's 65,000 existing homes with thousands of more to come. We have no idea where they're going to live or go to school. But they're coming. And they want to be invited. They want to sit at the table. I'm telling you, we're hardwired for it. And Jesus wants everyone at his table. Would you stand to your feet? We're going to pray together. Praise God, everybody. Amen. Can we just give the Lord just some love for a second? Would you just give him a shout? Give him a hand clap. Tell him you love him. Tell him you're thankful. Thankful to be a part of his kingdom. Listen, just for a few moments, we want to respond to the Lord. And I want to encourage you. Maybe you're here and you want to know you have a seat at that table. Can I tell you this? The invitation has been issued. Jesus has been pursuing you. He wants you at his table. But for whatever reason, somewhere, maybe even like me as a kid, I got it kind of mixed up. I thought that that was about joining a church or being religious. And it's not. Jesus is inviting you to fully surrender the entirety of your life to him. And when you do, you're going to experience freedom and a forgiveness and a friendship like you've never known. See, it's not about joining a church. That's That's a cool byproduct of the thing we get to do. It's not about being religious because Jesus didn't come and die on his cross just to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. So this morning, if you've never RSVP'd to your invitation that'll change your life and you want to, I want to pray with you. So if you would just pray with me, all of us. um, If if this is you and you know you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, we're going to do it now together. Nothing magical. We're just going to confess our desire and our surrender to him. But pray with me, something like this, just maybe in your own words, just say, Jesus, I believe you, and I need you, and I thank you that you would love someone like me, that you know me, that you see me, that you invite me, that you want me. Now, Jesus. I receive your forgiveness completely. Help me to forgive myself. Help me to forgive others who need to be forgiven by me. Jesus, help me embrace and walk in the freedom you died to give to me. Help me understand, believe, and walk in the abundant life you died to give to me. Remove all of my pasts, all of my yesterdays, all of my mistakes, all of my sin, all of my shame. And in this moment, fill me, Holy Spirit, completely, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Can we just shout and clap and celebrate? I believe somebody in the house just stepped into the kingdom. Maybe they were online. Come on, celebrate everybody. God is doing good things today. Just for the next few minutes, I just want us to take three minutes and respond together. And here's how I want us to do it. I'm going to invite prayer partners or elder families to just line these curtains over here on both sides. In the room, on your right and your left at the front, and in the very back, there are response tables. You can go there. You can fill out a card, a connect card. Maybe if you've prayed that prayer, maybe today you're taking a moment to realign your life with his. You're asking him, God, give me clean hands and pure heart. I want to recommit my life to you today. Whether you've asked Jesus for the first time and you surrendered your life to him or you're recommitting, grab one of those cards. Let us know what's going on. You can put it in the gift box right there at the response table or in the lobby. You can use the communion Uh, Elements right there to come to the table with your family or with some church family you can take communion right there there's a little card explaining all that otherwise if you need prayer please come and let these prayer partners minister to you Um, you can use the altar down front that's okay too whatever you need let's just take three minutes with the Lord before we go and then we'll say our declaration and we'll go today thank you for being here thank you but let's move and respond to the Lord right now as he leads as the team begins to sing Let's worship for just a minute.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today. Maybe today you need to take the next step in your faith, whether that be giving your life to Christ, or maybe you need prayer and would like to be contacted by one of our pastors. In the podcast description, you will find a link to our website and a link to an online connection card. And if you feel led, there will also be a link there where you can give directly through the ministries of Declaration Online. We would love to hear from you. God bless and have a wonderful week.